you know, very strange. I am going to send out send out a round of panelist invitations. I strongly encourage taking them. They're a great way to ask questions faster without having to raise your hand or ask permission from the moderators. If you have a Tanakh that you like, you should keep it at hand. And beyond that, I want to say, welcome to the third session of Jacob and his children, the journey through Genesis with Rabbi Silber. This is the third session. We are live on both Zoom and Facebook. And if you are watching on either platform, you should feel welcome to ask questions. And with that, I don't want to take take away time from learning. So good good afternoon from good afternoon, good morning. Let's learn with Rabbi Silver. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, again, pleasure to be learning with you. I did want to begin with a question that was sent to me last week after the class in the email from Laszlo. Is Laszlo there? Yes, Laszlo. Laszlo Thank is you. There. Okay, so I want to begin with your question, which I intended to speak to discuss in any event, but I'm glad you raised it. And Laszlo asked or noticed something, and let me just pick up with that and I'll try to say something about it. What Laszlo noticed is that in chapter 39, one of the words that appears several times in chapter 39 is the little word mu'uma. Mm -hmm. For example, it means it appears in chapter 39, verse number six. Um, it says that that Potiphar literally abandoned everything into Joseph's hand. He paid no attention to what Joseph did. And mm. then later on in chapter 39, as we continue in verse number nine, when Joseph is speaking to Mrs. Potiphar, he says to her, you know, your master, no one is greater than me, but he has not uh, withheld from me anything except for you in that you are his wife. So Laszlo noticed this and he remarked in his email that he wonders about this because the word Ma'uma appears in the story of the binding of Isaac when God or the angel says to Abraham So I wanted to talk about that and to pick up on Lazarus' point. And first of all, I wanted to point out that the word Ma'uma appears again later on in chapter 39, at the very end of the chapter when Joseph finds himself in jail. Potiphar puts him in jail. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And the Torah says in the last verse of chapter 39 that in jail, Joseph is given a free hand and the head of the jail lets Joseph do whatever he wants, pays no attention to what he does. In the 23rd Pasuk, in Sarbet HaSoar, Ro'et Komu'uma Biyado Tasheret Basher Hashem that the head of the jail, prison, pays no attention to what Joseph does. He lets Joseph do whatever he wants. God is with Joseph, the same way God was with Joseph in the beginning of chapter 39, Hashem Ito, which is found in verse number two. And the same thing is in the jail, at the end of the chapter, once again, in Sarbeta so I read That's the third time we have the word Ma'uma. And then, even more significant, 
is what Joseph says in chapter 40. So in chapter 40, uh, after Joseph is, Joseph meets the two officers of Paro in chapter 40, we'll discuss it. One is the chief butler and one is the chief baker. And Joseph interprets the dream of the butler first. The butler tells Joseph his dreams and his dream. And then Joseph interprets the dream. And after Joseph interprets the dream, he then adds something in the 14th Pasuk of chapter 40. He says to the butler, after he interprets the dream, which is you're gonna be restored to your post. And then in verse number 14, he says to him, Ki im when it goes well for you, please remember me. Speak to me, mention me to Paro. Take me out of this house. We'll discuss some of this later on as well. And he continues. I've been stolen from the land of the Hebrews. Here also I did nothing. So there Joseph comments, And what strikes me is that that really reminds us of what the angel said to Abraham back at the Akedah, which is, So Laszlo noticed the Mu'uma in chapter 39, and if he noticed all of them or not, but there's also the Mu'uma of chapter 40, and that the word Ma'uma does appear in the uh, Akedah. And here you have Altaslo Ma'uma, Lowasiti Ma'uma. I would add to what Laszlo says, then I want to comment about it, that not only is the Ma'uma present, but uh, in verse number nine of our chapter, back to chapter 39, where Joseph speaks to Mrs. Potiphar, a Neru Godo Babayit Hazemi Meni, Meni Ma'uma. God has not withheld anything from me at all. And that does remind us of uh, what the angel says to Abraham, you pass the test, don't do anything to him, don't do ma'uma. You have not withheld your son, your only one from me. So we have the chasach, which is a, not a rare word, rare, but it's not that common in the book. And you have the fourfold ma'uma, including al-taslo ma'uma. And then I noticed something else, which is very interesting. Just a few minutes ago, I noticed something. And it's a very, I think, an interesting point to make, which is this. Chapter 39, the story of Mrs. Potiphar, begins with the expression, after these things, after Joseph has been promoted, and given this position of enormous power in the house of Potiphar, after these things, then Mrs. Potiphar sees Joseph. So that's the, that's the expression, after these things, one would say, we shouldn't make a big deal out of the expression. Okay, afterwards this happened. Well, we'll get there, right. We will see it in a very interesting way. And then, it appears again in the next chapter, the beginning of chapter 40, after Joseph is in jail. After these things, that's the story of the butler and the baker who have uh, sinned 
against Paruch, That's the second time it appears. And the expression, the next time it appears, now I, again, this is done from my, I didn't check it 100% carefully. I think I'm right. I'm doing it from my, mostly from my memory, but I think it's correct. But it appears it's also again. By the Akeda. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to the Akeda. I'll get. Patience, patience. I'll get there. Yes, that's my point. We'll get to the Akeda. And, and more than that. But it appears again with Joseph. It appears in chapter 48. That chapter 48. That's the chapter. Joseph was told that his father is sick and he uh, brings with him Menashe and Ephraim. And that's the chapter in which Yaakov speaks to Yosef and then he blesses Menashe and Ephraim, but he doesn't bless them the way Yosef wants them to be blessed. He blesses them his way. He favors Ephraim over Menashe, but he blesses them both. And he says that my name through, through them will by name, my name be, 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 be known. So Menashe and Ephraim essentially are the continuation of, of, of Joseph. There is no tribe of Joseph, but there are two tribes. One is Menashe and one is Ephraim. So in the story of Joseph, we find the expression three times. Now, as a couple of you had commented, we also have and to the best of my knowledge, now I could be wrong about this, I don't think so. But even if I am wrong and it's another place, it's still very striking that Achar Hadvarim Ewa appears three times with Joseph, but it also appears three times with, uh, with uh, Abraham. So where does it appear with Abraham? So the first time it appears with Abraham, and not, I would say, in not inconsequential chapters, rather significant chapters. It appears with Abraham in chapter 15 which is the chapter about the covenant, the Brit Ben Habitarim. And that chapter 15 begins with the Pasuk, Achar Hadvarim After these things, after the battle of the five kings against the four, God spoke to Avram, don't be afraid. Your reward is great, says Avram. What reward could you give me? I have nobody to, to continue. I have no heir. The head of my house was the Zeliezer of Damascus. And God says, don't worry. And we'll get back to that in a few minutes. That's the first time it appears. And then the second time it appears with Avraham is that the Akedah. As a couple of you have remarked, the Akedah begins with the verse, Vayihi, achar hadvarim Elohim Avraham. That's the second time it appears. And then it appears with Abraham, lo and behold, a third time. It appears a third time at the, right after the Akeda. Right after the Akeda, that's chapter 22. And right following the Akeda, we have in verse number 20 of chapter 22, Vayihi, acharei hadvarim ha'ele. Vayugad vi Abraham lemar, after these things, Abraham was told that, behold, your uh, Milka, the wife of your brother, has given birth. 
And of course, in this, uh, in the names of those to, uh, that are born at the end of chapter 22, the critical person, the one woman mentioned over there, well, the Pilachim are also mentioned as well, but Ubituel Yoladet Rivka. Back in chapter 22, verse number 23, the birth of Rivka, who will be the one that will marry Yitzchak and will be the replacement of Sarah and will be the one central to the covenant moving forward. So here we, here's what I noticed before. Never noticed it before. Here's the point. Achar Hadvarima, here's the deep point over here. Achar Hadvarima Ewa is in and of itself, I would say, a trivial statement. Who would make a big deal out of Achar Hadvarima Ewa? Nobody would. But what's interesting is not the phrase Achar Hadvarima Ewa, it's how it's used in the book. I believe it only appears the six times. Three times in conjunction with Abraham and three times in conjunction with Joseph. So when you see that, you begin to ask yourself the question, what is the significance of this? And here's what I believe the significance is, coming back to Lazarus' point. And that is that actually the story of Joseph and the story of the Akedah have much in common. Because the story of the Akedah is about, as the Torah says, God is testing Abraham. The Torah says, Elohim nisa et Abraham. And the story of the Akedah, the test, which Abraham will pass, 100% pass, will ensure that the covenantal blessing given to Abraham in chapter 15, the brief and habitarim, that this covenant will pass on through Yitzchak. And that's how chapter 22, that's how the Akedah story ends, that Avram brings the sacrifice instead of his son, instead of Yitzchak, whom the Torah insists on calling your one and only son. Even though we have Yishmael, he has a blessing, he has a great blessing, but he's not covenantal. So it passes on through Yitzchak. And what passes on through Yitzchak? The promise made to Abraham in chapter 15. Now the promise in chapter 15 the way chapter 15 begins, Achar Hadvarima Eleh. So God says to Avraham in chapter 15, Avraham, your reward is very great. Don't be afraid. You have a great reward. Says Avraham, what can you give me? What are you going to give me? My reward is great. I have no continuity. Who's going to continue? You made a covenantal promise, all the blessings, but who, who's going to continue? And God says to Avraham in chapter 15, God says, um, exactly the language. Um, Abraham said in verse two, what could you possibly give me? The head of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. You gave me no, no, no heir, no successor. And in verse number four, nay, and behold, even as he's speaking, the word of God came and said, well, you rush for that. No, no, he's not going to inherit you. Your own natural child will inherit you. And in verse number five, he took him outside, hachutza, and he said, count the stars. Can you count them? Can't count them. Ko zarecha. Such will be your children. Ko zarecha. And Abraham had faith. And now, what's interesting is that the Akedah, right? At the Akedah, which will be the fulfillment of the promise through Yitzchak, when Abraham is traveling to the Akedah with his Narim and Yitzchak, he said to them, when he comes to the mountain of Haram Moriah, he says to the other boys, the Narim, 
But me and Yitzchak, so this boy will go at Ko. And of course, the reader, when he says, we'll go, and only we will go at Ko, we are reminded of this, what God said to Abraham in chapter 15, Ko Yezarecha. Mm-hmm. So the Akeda is the story in which Isaac is chosen as the replacement for Abraham, as the covenantal replacement, through Abraham's redeeming Isaac, through the sacrifice, the replacement of Yitzchak with the Isle. That's the story, and Abraham passed the test. God says, you passed the test. God says, the test was, now I know you are a God-fearing person. You passed the test 100%, says God, no questions asked. We may have problems with the Akeda. That's our problem, to deal with it. But the Chumash is as clear as one can be. So no one should ever tell you we should have done this, you should have done that. The Chumash is clear. 100% passed the test. Now let's come to Joseph. Ah, and right afterwards, right after the Akedah, the third Acharad, Rima Ewe, informs us about Rebecca. Because that's the way the covenant's going to proceed. Not just to Isaac. Isaac alone can't do it. He needs someone to advise him, who understands how the covenant works, his partner in life. That's Rebecca. So immediately after the covenant is confirmed through Isaac, we have the mention of Rebecca, Achar Hadvarima Ewa. The Torah has linked these three stories with the little phrase Achar Hadvarima Ewa of chapter 15 and the double Achar Hadvarima Ewa in chapter 22 in the Akedah. First Yitzchak and then Rivka. That's the Abraham story. Now let's get to Joseph. In the story of Joseph, which is chapter 39, 40, and 48. Chapter 39 is, I would say, the test for Joseph, the Nisayon for Joseph, and it's a test. The Torah didn't use the word Nisayon, but the Torah makes it clear. Here's this fellow all alone in the house of Potiphar in a culture which is Mitzrayim, which in the Chumash is seeing and taking. You see something pretty, beautiful, you take it. And Joseph is propositioned by Mrs. Potiphar, Achar Hadvarima Eile. And Joseph does not get involved with Mrs. Potiphar. He refuses to get involved with her. He explains why. But she doesn't seem to accept the explanation. And we discussed this last week because maybe he talked too much. Maybe he just should have said no. What about no, don't you understand? But he starts to explain, I really could do it. I really am great. So she maybe hears him saying, hey, maybe he's just teasing her. So she speaks to him every day. Yom, yom. She talks every day, but he still refuses to listen because he really doesn't want to get involved. And then one day he comes to an empty house. And here we have, over here, she grabs his coat, saying, sleep with me. Verse number 12. And he runs outside hachutza. What a wonderful example of an innocent word, which in the context of our story, once we understand it, has enormous significance, the word hachutza. And in case you missed the hachutza of verse number 12, we have it once again in verse number 13. The second time, when she saw this, 
then she does what she does. She goes to the members of the household. And in verse number 15, she says, Kishamo kiarimoti kawivo ekra, vayazov bigdo biyodi, vayazov bigdo etsui, vayonos vayetste hachutza. Another hachutza. Then she speaks to the husband in verse number uh, 18, vayikarimi kawivo ekra, vayazov bigdo etsui, vayonos hachutza. Joseph goes hachutza. He leaves the coat behind, he runs outside. He won't get involved. He goes hachutza. But we all know, and this takes place achar hadvarim. So the point is, we know that essentially the word hachutza is a word that had enormous significance in the Abraham covenant. The Medrash picked it up and it's so right. Medrash says, Abraham said to God, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? That uh, you're gonna, my, I'm gonna have a child. Listen, I'm an old guy already, and I'm not going to have any any successor. Eliezer of Damascus, which the Medrash says, and I think it's actually, in a sense, even the Pshat, he took him outside. God says to Abraham, you, you got to think outside the box. That's the term, think outside the box. The Medrash says, Abraham won't have children. Abraham will have children. The point is, you have to think differently. If you think in the conventional way, you won't succeed. If you're able to think in the unconventional way, if you go hachutza, can you count the stars? So the word hachutza, and the ko of the akedah, and now the chumash picks it up with Joseph. With the triple and the quadruple hachutza, when Joseph goes hachutza, what it means, says the Chumash, is he can't get involved with Mrs. Potiphar. He can't be the Egyptian. He can't buy into the culture. He's going to go hachutza and whatever it costs, and it's going to cost him because he leaves the coat behind, he leaves the, and she's going to use it to incriminate him. Nonetheless, this was his test. This was his red line. This was his test. And that takes place, achar hadvarima eva. That's the first achar hadvarima eva. And then we turn the page to chapter 40. It begins, Achar Hadvarima Ewa, the second time. And the second Achar Hadvarima Ewa is already a suggestion. How is, how is it possible that Joseph will be able to escape this fate of remaining forever in the jail in Potiphar's house? Achar Hadvarima Ewa arrayed as a possible redemption from, from prison. As Joseph said, I'm, I'm innocent. Go wasiti mo'uma. Right? But Joseph's going to get out of the jail because, because it's God's plan and because the butler ultimately is going to speak to Paro. That's the second Achar Hadvarima Ewa. And the third one has to do with the way Joseph can continue the line of Jacob because there is no tribe of Joseph. But Achar Hadvarima Ewa, we have the story of Menashe and Ephraim, and they're going to be the ones who represent Joseph. And then they give Joseph the double portion. And they're the ones that will carry Jacob's family forward and be able to include Joseph through Menashe and Ephraim. So what's interesting is, here's what I find interesting, that we encounter in this Joseph narrative, the larger point, I'll say it, even though it's obvious to all of us at this point, that fundamentally, the Chumash sets up Joseph as the one who will continue 
the covenant made with Abraham. The covenant of Abraham has two critical points, the covenant of chapter 15 and the arcade of chapter 22. And the Chumash plays off that story with Joseph. It has the Achutz of chapter 15 and the Ma'uma of chapter 22. And the beauty of it is that the words are so simple. The words are in and of themselves, we, we, we make nothing, we would not make anything of them, except for the fact of the repetition of the words, except for the fact of the connection to the other Achar, Hadvrima, Ela, and the Chutza, etc. And the fact that at the bottom, at the core, it's about a test. Joseph, in fact, is being tested with a pretty difficult test all by himself. Just like Abraham is alone at the Akedah, so is Joseph truly alone with Mrs. Potiphar. As, as he says, nobody will ever find out. He'll never know, right? He'll, no one will ever know. But Joseph, Vayimaein, refuses to do it. I find this quite amazing, actually, I must say. And you know what? As someone once said to me after I gave a shear that I really liked, and she said, I'm very disappointed in you. You heard such great things. Everything you say is obvious. I said, excuse me, was it obvious 10 minutes ago? It's obvious afterwards, isn't it? Clear, this is Joseph's test. And that's where you make such a big, big deal about the test. And I'll tell you who understood this very well. Whoever wrote Megillat Esther. Because whoever wrote Megillat Esther, it's very interesting because the story of Joseph and afterwards, I'll stop and take comments and questions. But the story of Joseph in the house of Mrs. Potiphar, the test of Joseph, the red line of Joseph. Joseph's red line is Mrs. Potiphar. And Joseph is an ambitious guy. And Joseph has assimilated into Egypt. And Joseph runs the house of Potiphar. But this he can't do. This is his red line, Vayimaein. Whatever the reason, the Medrash says the Vayimaein of Joseph is related to the Vayimaein of his father. There's something about him, he can't do it in a moral level, he just can't do this. As he said, it would be wrong. It would be a sin against God. The, the Megillah, of course, has the parable story. There the red line is not Mrs. Potiphar. There the red line is Amalek. There the red line is Haman. Mordechai will not bow down to Haman. Won't bow down to Haman. That's his red line. Haman is Amalek. Haman is God's enemy. Haman is Agag. He's not gonna do that, even though he's a very ambitious man. He positioned himself into the king's court once his uh, cousin became the queen and no one knows of the connection. And that's his story. And the parallels, of course, of Megillah chapter three and, uh, and our chapter, chapter 39, the Yom Vayom, the parallels are well known. But here's what's interesting. In the Megillah, we have the expression, Achar Hadvarim And Achar Hadvarim in the Megillah appears twice. It appears in the Megillah the first time in chapter two. That's Achar Hadvarim in chapter two is about how the king, after he's decreed against Vashti, after these things, he remembers Vashti, what she did, what was decreed against her. That's Megillah after chapter two, verse number one. And he sets out to um, get a replacement for Vashti. And the replacement for Vashti in chapter two is Esther. So that's how Esther emerges in chapter two, Achar and in chapter two, uh, that's how Mordechai becomes prominent in the court of the king. That's chapter two. And then after Mordechai is prominent 
and inside the court of the king. We have chapter three. Achar Hadvarima Ewa. How does chapter three begin? The story of Haman's ascension and Mordechai's challenge and Mordechai's test and Mordechai's red line begins with the expression Achar Hadvarima Ewa. I don't think it appears any other place in the Megillah. And I have no doubt about it that given the fact that chapter three of the Megillah is clearly parallel to chapter 39, right? Because as it says, and they speak to Mordechai Yom Vayom Shama. So the author of the Megillah not only has the parallel with the day, every single day they would speak to him, refuses to bow down, but also introduces the story of the test with Achar Hadvarim Okay, I just wanted to point it out. That was Laszlo's comment, right? Laszlo, that's what you pointed out about the Mahuma. So as I said, we'll talk yeah. about it this week. Thank you. The truth of the matter is that when you see one thing, often when you see one thing, you see 10 things. And it's a very, very deep point. It's, a, it's, a, it's a one of the, the Torah's connecting Joseph to, to Abraham, to the covenant. And what it's saying is, yes, he assimilates. Yes, he's problematic. Yes, he's this. Yes, he wants to forget. But there's a bottom line to Joseph, which is there's a moral side to him. And the, the moral side, the ethical side, is, is actually what connects him to Abraham and to the covenant. You know, I was thinking about this a lot lately. I don't want to get involved in politics, but I will say the following point, which is that here I'm sitting in Israel, and it's not only true of Israel, but it's true of every place, but I happen to be in Israel. And a lot of the talk actually, a lot of the talk here is about, you know, so-and-so is a candidate, what are they gonna do for me? What are they gonna do for me? Are they gonna support me with this, that, the next thing? But you really hear the following language. What is the right moral decision to make? Right? What, what is, forget about who's gonna help me out in the short term. What is the moral thing to do? And the point of this story, it strikes me, the message is what Joseph who wants to, Joseph wants to move up in the world and he's in a, a, a culture which this is what is done. It's not unusual. And no one's going to find out about it. And this is how you, you're part of the culture. That's what they do. But Joseph can't do it, actually, because, because it's not right. And in the short run, he pays a big price, but he does the right thing. And that, I think, is really an interesting. And Mordechai is in the same kind of situation. It's about people that actually crave power. Mordechai puts himself in a position of power. He put himself in the king's court. He wasn't there in the beginning. He's in, he's in the city of Shushan. But he puts himself there because he, 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 he desires power, maybe for all kinds of good reasons. Joseph dreams that the sun, the moon, the stars bow down to him. He's not a guy who shies away from power. But there's a point of the story, of both stories, where you do the right thing, regardless of the consequences. I think that's incredibly, it sounds so trivial, but I think it's something to really think about. What is the right moral choice? And I wish we had more of that kind of language in terms of our decisions, especially in the political arena. What is the right thing? And that's the story of Joseph. He's gonna do the right thing, whatever the cost. Uh, let me stop you at this point and take comments and questions. Then we'll continue with chapter 39, Mrs. Poltifar. Um, And if you're an attendee, not a panelist, if you allow to talk, I'm happy to get you uh, speaking. 
I just wanted to say, Robert Silver, that you are absolutely a genius. That's not a question. I mean, I'm listening to a good question. Comment. Thank you for the compliment, but I would say that the Torah is a genius. I'm just trying to see what's here. You know what I mean? I think the the narrative that we have been blessed with, Sefer Breshit, is incredibly ingenious, actually. And the truth of the matter is, the more you see here, that's what I've noticed. The more you see something, it enables you to see that you realize there's always more. That's the truth of it, you know? I didn't notice the har had until a few minutes ago. Because once you see things that, you know, it's the way it's put together is very striking, I think. Um, and I think the powerful part of this is these stories, which are ancient, but there's a piece of them in terms of the human stuff, which speaks to all of us, continues to speak to us all the time. And uh, it's done in such a powerful way. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Yeah, that we... uh, yeah I yeah, see Richard. Yes, so Richard. maybe it's worth pointing out the standard association of Mordechai with Yosef. As a as a Benjamin as a Benjaminite as Ishimini, he's yes. uh, associated in the traditions of uh, Yosef and Mashiach ben Yosef and the whole whole array of uh, midrashim that follow right that path. For sure, so. I, I would say that it's not just the midrashim. I, I no, was, in a, terms of the language of the Megillah, the, the right. main story that lies the many stories that lie behind the Megillah, but the, the larger Joseph narrative, not just Joseph, but the Joseph story. I once counted 50 connections, 5-0 connections, which is not my discovery. This was noted more than 100 years ago, and the Medrash has many of them, that there are all kinds of connections. Uh, in my book, I talk about it, and I try to focus on where I think of the main ones. One of the main ones is chapter three, not bowing down to, uh, to Haman. And there are others as well. I'm not going to get into it now, but it's not just that they are there, but they're there at the most pivotal. In other words, what's interesting about the Megillah is that the Megillah picked up on what are the critical moments in the Joseph narrative. And one of them is not, is not getting involved with Mrs. Potiphar. And the other one that the Megillah picks up on that we'll get to is when Judah says to his father, send, send, send Benjamin with me. That's one of the great moments in the book. And Judah says, I'll take responsibility, entrust him with me, and Jacob agrees. That's one of the great moments. Then later on, we have when, when Joseph reveals himself uh, to it to his brothers. So these are the moments that the Megillah picked up on those stories and plays off them in many interesting ways. So, of course, and being a Benjaminite on top of it is another way to connect uh, uh, Mordechai to that piece of the family. Benjamin in the book of Breshit is Joseph's, I mean, he's basically Joseph. He's, he's, he's a second Joseph. And he's the one that how they behave towards Benjamin suggests how they would behave towards Joseph. So for sure, that's a, a good point. Uh, is there anybody else? Yes, uh, Sarah Olson, you should be able to yes. talk now. Yes. Hi, um, I wondered if any if any of the Meforshim are bothered by the fact that when Yosef um, rejects Mrs. Potiphar, he, he never says, you know, I'm a Jew and I, I don't sleep with a, another man's wife. That's not his reasoning. It would have been like an, almost like an opportunity. Well, the Medrash does pick up on this in terms of Vayimaein. The Medrash ties into Jacob. Joseph refuses Vayimaein at the end of 37. But I don't think it's about being a Jew. I think it's about doing the right thing, Jew or non-Jew. Uh, he doesn't say, I, on the contrary, he doesn't say in our tradition we don't do these things. 
It says something much more powerful than that, which is, it's not the right thing to do. You are non-Jew. I mean, I, proof of the matter is that when it comes to adultery, according to our tradition, that rule is binding on Jew and non-Jew. It's one of the seven Noahide commandments. So it's, but he doesn't put it in terms of, uh, you know, it's a halach of sorts. He says something very different, which I think is very powerful, which is there's an ethic that dictates that I don't do this because, as he says, I don't break a trust. Trust is very, it's a matter of trust. Uh, and I'm not gonna do something which, which is, uh, violates a trust given to me by your husband and by implication given to you by your husband. And the other thing is, this man has been very good to me. He's done all kinds, he's helped me right and left. He's done, he's, I hope my entire career is due to him. My entire success is due to him. I can't repay good with evil. I can't, mis that's what he says, which to me is much more powerful than saying, you know, in our tradition, in the Shulchan Aruch, we don't do this. He's no, meaning like I'm a God-fearer. In an you know? ethical way, saying it's not the right thing to do, which I okay. think is something interesting about a kind of, this, this is a big question I want to get into now, but is there an ethic apart from halacha? Is there an ethic apart from what, the, what, the, what our tradition says, which is an ethical tradition, but apart from that, is there a separate ethic? And I always maintain that there is a separate ethic, and that actually there's a great value to that because we always have to think about in terms of what we're doing, what about the ethical consideration? Apart from what the particular traditions we have and rules we have, but there's another way to measure things. And we have to always think about is what we're doing, how does that square with the ethical consideration? It's very often, it's sometimes perhaps connected to this question of lifni mishurat adin when the Talmud speaks of going beyond the law. And the question is, what is the relationship of beyond the law to the law? Is it just part of the law? Or is it an, a, an independent ethical consideration? And it's important because we always have to think about two things. One is, are we just following our tradition? And second, is that actually ethical? Or is there a different, maybe it's permissible by, it's what the Ramban says, you can keep the rule and be a bad person to be in Naval B'Shuta Torah. What the Ramban is saying is there's another ethic out there. And the other ethic out there is beyond the law and says, you know something? Technically speaking, you can do it. But, but is it really the right thing to do? So I think that, I, I say on the contrary, the fact that Joseph says what he says, I find very powerful and actually very illuminating in terms of our behaviors. But the Ramban said it already. He has a Naval B'Shuta Torah. You can keep the Torah and be a, a bad guy. That's what the Ramban just, says. So that's a different ethic. No, I just mean, he doesn't mention God at all. He doesn't say, you know, I he does, God. He, he does mention God. He mentions God at the end of the verse. Of course he mentions God. He mentions God in verse number nine. In fact, that's okay. the last word of the verse. How could I do this and sin against God? That is what he says. Okay, wasn't just the mention Okay. Right, but he doesn't just say it's a sin against God. He explains it to us. Now, maybe he shouldn't have explained it. Sometimes you don't explain things. Sometimes you say, we don't do this. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He explains it. But the explanation doesn't seem to work because, you know, she doesn't hear it as an explanation. She thinks he's teasing her, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, okay, is there anything else? If not, we will continue. Mm -hmm. Okay, so anything else, Kayla? We can continue. Nope, uh, so nope. 
Uh, okay. no, no questions in chat. Oh, yeah, yeah, Al has a question. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but Al Sharon. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Speak up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Were, were they called Jews at the time? No, there's no. Look. I mean, they couldn't say. Abraham is the first Jew. What do you call it? Abraham is the first Jew. Abraham is. I know, but is it in the book? No, Abraham is, yes, Abraham is called the Hebrew. He's called an Ivri. Back in chapter 14, Avram or Ivri, he's called the Hebrew. Abraham is called the Hebrew. And it's clear that he's the first Jew. That's clear. Um, he's called the Hebrew. He is called the Hebrew. But, it, but the point of the book is the Hebrew, the Jews are, a Jew is one who enters into the covenant that God makes with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. It is ultimately in the Chumash, not a club. Anybody can join. That's the idea of, of, of conversion. Anybody can, anybody, if you're willing to accept what this covenant is about, you're a Jew. So, but there is a concept in our tradition of, of people choosing to be Jews. That's for sure. So, in fact, the Talmud goes way beyond that and says that in a sense, everybody is, everybody is a convert. Even the Jews are converts because the story in the book of Exodus that the Jewish people, they had been at circumcision and they had ritual immersion. Then they accepted the Torah, and they brought a sacrifice. So every Jew was actually a convert. That's what the Gemara claims. And therefore, of course, what makes conversion possible is that everybody's a convert of sorts. Everybody is. But in the book of uh, Breshit, Abraham is called the Ivri, Avram Ivri, back in chapter 14. Okay, let us, yes. Just one more comment. But don't think yes. I'm reminded Speak. of Pasuto's uh, pointing out that the whole story of Joseph is Yerida ve'aliyah. He goes down and he goes up and he goes down and he goes up. Down to the pit and up and then down. That, that is true. And up and so on and so forth. I'm sure you know that it's not. That is true. That is certainly the yeah. case. That then uh, in, in the larger sense is true of the Jewish people that the entire yeah. family of Jacob goes down by Yerid Mitzrayimah. And ultimately, as God said to Moshe, I plan to bring them up. So the guy down and up is true of Joseph, but it's even more true of the Jewish people in general. That's the yeah. story of the Exodus, the going down to Mitzrayim and the right. Aliyah from Mitzrayim. Okay, let's, let's, let's go um, again excuse to... Excuse me. Excuse yes. me. He, um, to answer Yael, he is called in Ebed Ivri, in Pasuk Zion. He is referred to as that. Joseph is called. Joseph, yeah. Right. That's true. He's, Joseph is, that's another connection to Abraham, by the way. Right. That's another connection. That Abraham is called the Yivri and Joseph's called the Yivri. He's called the Yivri several times, actually, is Joseph. And that's another, indeed, in fact, another link between Joseph and Abraham. And Abraham is the father of the covenant. So Joseph is covenantal. That's, okay, thank you. That's a good point, And thank you for that. Okay, let's now, I just want to go back to chapter 39 to pick up with verse number, um, let's start with verse number 10, okay? And which is, I want to just add a few details over here. Let's see if we can finish up this chapter at least. Um, so in chapter 39, verse number 10, so she spoke to Joseph every day. Joseph refuses to lie next to her, literally, to be with her. Fine. Now it comes to pass on this particular day. 
Joseph came to the house to do his work. He works in the house. But nobody is in the house. So they're all alone in the house. Okay. And now we have the following story. She grabbed onto his coat saying, sleep with me. So Joseph leaves the coat in her hand and he runs hachutza. Okay, we spoke about hachutza, but he leaves the coat in her hands. And now the question is, now Joseph loses his coat. He already lost his coat once before in chapter 37, his katone pasim. And once again, he loses his coat. And now, so Mrs. Potiphar is holding his coat, just as Tamar held Judah's coat in, the, in chapter 38. Mrs. Potiphar has Joseph's coat. And now we have, let's see what she does with this coat. I just wanted to say a couple of things here about the story. In verse 14, Batikra Lianche Beta. So she calls to the members of the Bayit. The, the members of the Bayit were not there at the time for whatever reason, it was an empty house, but she calls them, she calls out to them. And she says the following, look here, she says, he, referring presumably to her husband, brought an ish ivri, here we have the ivri, it appears more than once, with sachek banu. With sachek banu, with sachek is to mock, Often has a sexual meaning. banu. What does banu mean? To mock banu means us, plural. He came, he came to me to sleep with me, but I cried out in a loud voice. And then she says, The next verse, when he, when he heard that I raised my voice, he ran out, and that's what she says to the members of the house. So let's notice a couple of things. First of all, a little word once again is very significant. The little word is banu, us. What she's saying is, look what my husband did. He brought the Hebrew to mock us. So what she's playing off is, it's not just me. Yes, he came to sleep with me, that's true but he's coming actually to mock us. What she's picking up on over here is the presumed hatred. The Ivri came to mock us. I can imagine us saying, you know, you guys been working in the house for how many years? You worked for my husband? You maybe has 500 workers. And all of a sudden, this outsider, the Ivri, the one from the other side, he's the boss. What is this? What kind of mockery is this? He's mocking all of us, not just, okay, with me, it's a sexual thing. He thinks he's gonna take whatever he wants, sleep with me. But you know something she says to the members of that by it, it's, it, he's making fun of all of us. And there's an implicit, what my what's called anti-Semitism, if you wanna call it that. It reminds me very much of the story in the Megillah, in chapter three in the Megillah. Because in chapter three of the Megillah, the people in the court, Mordechai does not bow down to Haman right? Refuses to bow down to Haman. But here's the point. Nobody, Haman doesn't know that. Haman has no idea Mordechai is not bowing down. Mordechai is not in Haman's face. Haman has no idea. Mordechai doesn't want to bow to, to Haman. So he avoids them. Haman goes to one part of the courtyard. Mordechai goes to the other part. Haman has no clue. It's the people in the court that resent it. 
They say, why do you violate the king's command? We're bowing down. Why are you better than us? And they go to Haman to see if Mordechai's words would stand for he told them he was a Jew. And one way to read it is he told them he's a Jew. That's why they went. The reason they go to Haman is he told them he's a Jew. They resent it. Why is this guy better than us? He's, if we have to bow down, he should bow down. And that's what you have over here as well. That's when she speaks to the members of the, of the house. He came with Shkavi me. That's what she says to the members of the house. And I, and I screamed out and he raced out, leaving his coat behind. And now we see the next piece of it. That's what she says to the members of the house. But however, in the next verse, right? It says, verse number 16, the code remained with her. Until the master came, Potiphar comes home now. And she said the following to Potiphar, to her husband. The Hebrew, the Ebed Ivri, once again the Ivri, the Hebrew slave whom you brought came with Sachet B. And notice, interesting, that when she speaks to the members of the house, she says, to sleep with me, to lie with me. But when she speaks to the husband, she doesn't say wishkavi me. The Hebrew slave you brought came with sachek be. With sachek, okay, it's sexual, but it's not wishkavi me. So she's saying something different to the husband, a different point to the husband. And what she says, continuing, he karimi and when, when I cried out, he left his coat with me, and I would suggest she's saying something very different. It's exactly the same word, virtually identical words. But I think she's making a different point, which is this. When it comes to the husband, she's not saying he came to sleep with me. What she's saying is he came with tzachek be. With tzachek is to... To, could be to mock or to taunt, but it has the sense of the superior person toying, I'm saying toying with or playing with someone of a lower status. And what she says is, he's, 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 he's mocking me, he's making fun of me, he's acting as if he could do whatever he wants with me. And the leaving of the coat in that context isn't he was afraid and ran out, but the leaving of the coat is a way of, of the cult represents himself. He's saying, when I screamed, he left his cult with me as a way of mocking. He says, I'm, I'm running out now, but you know, I'm, I'm still here. So it's not about sleeping with her. It's about making fun. And that's why she said, and that's the difference between what she says to the members of the household. Because the members of the household, she says, when she talks to the members of the household, the words are ish ivri, a Hebrew man. Ish could even be an important man. Look at this, she says. He's the big shot. And me, and you too, all of us, what are we, chop liver or something? But if he is, this stranger outsider comes, he's the boss. That's a mockery of us. For you, he mocks you, and he mocks, gonna sleep with me, take me, sleep with me. When it comes to the husband, 
he's saying something, she says different to the husband. The evidivri came and she says, I understand. Who, who's the boss and who's the slave? Isn't this your slave? Isn't he the Evid? So why if he's the Evid, Potiphar, why have you given him the ability? That's the point. You've given him the ability. Why does he think he's such a big shot? Didn't you make it clear to him he's the Evid? And he came not to sleep with me, but to treat me like someone who is who's less, who's lower than me, not as important as I am. Reminds me of Yishmael, Yitzhak is born. And Sarah sees Yishmo Mitzacheg. Mitzacheg means he's mocking in the sense, what's the big deal? He's my younger brother. Okay, very nice. I'm the oldest one. I'm the Bechor. I'm the one Abraham loves. I'm the one that was in response to Abraham's prayers. That's the Mitzacheg. So the leaving of the coat means difference. The different meaning of the coat. The leaving of the coat, when she talks to her husband, is he's making fun of me. He left his coat with me. It's like he's still with me. It's like with Tamar and Yehuda. What do you want? I want your coat. Means I want you, but I'll take the coat for now. So that's so that's the fine distinction to be made over here between what she says to the husband. And I would add something else. If she had said to the husband, he's coming, he came to rape me, then Potiphar might have, the chief butcher, might have killed Joseph. But one of the reasons Potiphar doesn't kill Joseph is because she doesn't say that. She says he doesn't know his place or he doesn't know his place. So I'll put him in jail, he'll know his place. But you know what? He's still useful to me. Joseph is a useful man. I just can't have him in the house. I also want to understand his role. He works for me. Yes, I gave him complete freedom, virtually everything except for the bread. But okay, if Mrs. Potiphar, you know, says that he doesn't know his place, maybe that's one way to read why at the end of the day, the chief butcher didn't butcher Joseph. He leaves, he lets Joseph go and he puts him in the jail because Joseph is useful to him as we will see shortly. Joseph is a useful person. Now there could be other reasons why he doesn't kill Joseph. One is he might've heard this story 10 times before from Mrs. Potiphar, who knows? But in, in point of fact, it is interesting that the chief butcher, whether he's butchering people or animals, I don't know, but the chief butcher doesn't kill Joseph. Okay, let me stop you for a moment. Can I ask, can question. I say something, Robert Silver? Of course. Right, exactly, right. So that's true. And I would also say that there's some sense of, right, there's some sense over here. You are also to be blamed. Exactly. You are the one exactly. who wrote Exactly, yes, it's a very, very good point. You know, she's not just blaming him, she says, she says to the husband, and she said to the member, look what an idiot I'm married to. Look with this guy, look with this guy. Hey, V, it's Potiphar. You know, Potiphar, is, I mean, there is anger against Potiphar because Potiphar has essentially abandoned her. By Yazov, he's sort of, he, wherever he is, who knows? So they're right. So there is, I think, implicit anger, not just against Joseph for refusing her advance, but against Potiphar. And it does remind us very much of what Adam says to God. You know, it's, I blame her, but I also blame you, the one you put by my side, you know? So it's a very good point. It's, it's exactly parallel. The one you put by my side. She's no good, and frankly, God, I got some problems with you as well. Anybody else for a comment? Good point. Anybody else? 
Nope. Anybody in the chat? No. Nope. Okay. Oh, uh, wait. Actually, yes. There was a question in the chat from earlier. Okay, from just tell me how much time. How much time do we have? Um, we have. You have about twenty minutes. It's five to eleven. It's five. Yeah, it's six to. It's four to eleven. Okay. Good. Go ahead. Yes. And um, Francine Chaga just wanted to know what was yes, the please. title of your book on Megillah Esther. And where can I? For such a time and, as this. Okay. And yes. where can I buy your new book about Shmuel? Oh, uh, uh, where you can buy it? I'm not sure we can buy it, but if you can't buy it, Utrisha will send you a copy. But uh, uh, Sarah, I can send you a link. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let us continue now. Fine. Um, so again, so at the end of the chapter. Um, let's just continue with the end of the chapter. Finish the chapter. So beginning with the first time in 19. When he heard what she had said, these things is what your ever did. Notice, then he gets angry. Because what she's saying is, he doesn't really see your ever. He thinks that he's your boss. He thinks you don't matter. So that's what angers him. Avdecha, he gets angry. So he takes Joseph. So he takes Joseph and he puts Joseph in jail. Now, the term for jail in verse number 20, interesting term, is Beit Hasohar. Samach He Reish. Beit Hasohar. The word soar is not a Hebrew word. It's, the people I spoke to, I said, there's a friend of mine who's a great expert in biblical Hebrew. He told me it's a word of Egyptian origin. It appears virtually no other place. I'll get to the word soar, but Joseph is in Beit HaSoar. Then it says the Beit HaSoar is the place in which Asirei HaMelech Asurim. So the term one might say is Beit HaSurim was the term which we should use. So it's the place of the Asurim. Let's call it Beit Asurim. And Joseph finds himself in Beit Hasoah. But now the Chumash continues. By he Hashem et Yosef, by Yet Elav Chasid, God is with Joseph. And God, by Yet Elav Chasid, God extended kindness to Joseph, Chesed. By Yetain Chido, Yenesa Beit Hasoah. And he causes the head of this jail to look favorably chain on Joseph. So there are two words over here in verse number 21, and that is chesed and chain. Chain and chesed. Um, we have, um, so Joseph, chain and chesed, fine, chain and chesed. Um, and now, v'yitain sar beita soar b'yad yosef et kolo asirim asher b'veita soar. So the chief jailer, Puts into Joseph's hand, Biyad Yosef, all of the captives that are in Beit. He's in charge of the jail. Everything that is done there was done according to Joseph's either supervision or charge. It's parallel to the beginning of the chapter where everything is given into the hand of Joseph. Biyad Yosef, in verse number four, Natan Biyado, right? in verse number six, so in Joseph's control. But then, of course, Joseph lost his coat and his coat is in her hand. He finds himself in the hands of the control of Mrs. Potiphar. So he ends up in jail. But in jail, once again, things are placed into Joseph's hand 
striking is verse number 23, the last verse of chapter 39. Here we have the Mu'uma. The Sarbeta Soar pays no attention to what Joseph does. Everything is in Joseph's hand. So once again, Joseph is in control. Whatever he does, God causes Joseph to be successful, which is parallel to how the chapter begins. Verse number three. So it begins with Joseph in the house of Potiphar. He's matzliach, it's all biyado, God is with him. At the end of the chapter, we have identical language. The ma'uma, the biyado, the matzliach, the presence of God. It doesn't seem to matter where you put Joseph. He succeeds wherever he is. And the term that is in particular striking are the terms chen and chesed. Uh, Joseph is somebody that wherever you put this fellow, he's successful. It doesn't matter where you put him. You can put him in the house of Potiphar, you can put him in jail. We have the chain at the end of the chapter, and we have the chain in the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 39, verse number four. Joseph finds favor in the eyes of uh, Potiphar. The parallel here, actually, of somebody who can be in the darkest places, in jail, basically, and nonetheless, or in the house of Potiphar, he's a, he's, a, he's a slave in the house of Potiphar. He's a foreign slave in the house of Potiphar. But wherever you put Joseph, he has chen. And once again, in the Megillah, we have a very similar story. Because in the second chapter, which begins with Achar Hadvarim Ha'ela in the Megillah, when the women are brought to the house of, of Achashverosh, against their will, I would add, to be in his harem, which is a kind of in prison, essentially, in prison for life. It's a jail, terrible place to be. You undergo these so-called beauty treatments, but Esther finds chen. No matter where you put Esther, she finds chen. So in that sense, she's very much a Joseph character. It doesn't matter where you put her. She's somebody who has a certain grace about her. And wherever you're going to put her, she's going to be successful. In the Megillah, of course, it doesn't mention that God is with her because God's never mentioned altogether in the Megillah. But there's something about Esther and the way she carries herself and behaves that there is a certain chen. So this is where Joseph is now found. And now we have the continuation of this. So Joseph, after this takes place, Chapter 40, verse number one. So after these things, this, the butler, the mashkeh, the butler and the baker of Pharaoh sinned, they sinned. And here the interesting word is to their master, to their lord, the king of Egypt. Sinning Radonehem, the word Adon, Adonehem, of course, reminds us of the previous chapter when over and over again Potiphar is called Adon, right? Right? The word Adon over and over again in chapter 39. And now we have a parallel story. The baker and the butler, it sounds like they're together on something. It sounds like a conspiracy of the two of them, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker have sinned 
against their Lord, the King of Egypt. That's how chapter 40 begins. And the point then that I would, I would point out is that when Joseph in jail encounters the baker and the butler, having sinned against the king of Egypt, okay, against their Lord. And Joseph is in jail because he is presumed to have sinned against his Lord. So Joseph's own experience, Joseph understands why he's in jail. And it's presumed this helps him in terms of understanding that what these dreams are about, who's gonna be successful, who's gonna make it out of jail and who was not. So already you can see the experience in the house of Potiphar was a useful experience for Joseph in terms of preparing him, first of all, to interpret the dreams. But I would, I would say more than that, it presumably is a good experience for him in terms of managing a major estate. Later on, he has to manage the land of Egypt. But he already has, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't go to uh, study, uh, get a degree in economics, but he has the experience of what it means to manage a gigantic estate. There's the house, there's the field, there's a prison there as well. So Joseph's experience, negative or not negative, will prepare him for ultimately becoming the second in command in the land of Egypt. But here he understands, he knows what it means to be accused of sinning against your master. And now the Chumash continues. Right? So just tell me, tell me when it's about 10 after 11, because I want to give some time for comments and questions at the end. And we'll continue next week, of course. Right? So Pharaoh got angry against his two officers. The baker, the butler and the baker. Notice how the Chumash is emphasizing that the two of them are together. It sounds like the two conspired together. They're both in jail together. And Paro got angry against the two of them, the baker and the butler. And he put them, the Mishmar, in the custody, in the house of the butcher, El Soar, to the jail. Where Joseph was bound up. Now, here it's very interesting. We already had the term Beta Soar, and then we had the place where they are Asurim, and now we have a third term, which is the word Mishmar, the place in which you are guarded. Here they translate in custody. Three different terms for the same place for the jail Beta Soar, Beta Asurim, or Asurim. And now we have Mishmar. And now we have the next verse. Verse number four is such an interesting verse. The, the butcher, the Saratabachim Potiphar, assigned Joseph to them and he served them by Yesharet Otam. And they were with him for some time in the Mishmar, in the place of custody. So notice that what Potiphar does over here is to give Joseph exactly the role that Joseph had with Potiphar, exactly the same words, because at the beginning of chapter 39, right, it says explicitly um, in chapter 39, verse number, we have those two key words in chapter 39, verse number four. Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. He served him, his personal servant. 
by Yafki Deo, he appointed him. And now Potiphar appoints Joseph. By Yifkod Saratabachim et Yosef Itam, by Yisharetotam. Which confirms the idea that we had earlier, that essentially Joseph in jail has used to Potiphar. Apparently it's a very special jail where the big shots are sent. And Potiphar sees a use for Joseph. When he wants to serve, he, he, he has a, uh, a use for Joseph, which is why he doesn't kill him. Joseph is a useful guy. Okay, he's your most talented worker. Okay, I can't keep him in my house because of my wife. So we have to follow him out to someplace else. So we can't be in the, on the main floor, put him in the basement. But the fact of the matter is, he still serves Potiphar and Potiphar's purposes. And now we come to another point, which is the term that's used when it comes to the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Ophim, with Joseph, it's Beit HaSoar. With the Sarah Mashkim and Sarah Ophim, it's the word Mishmar. Why is it the word Mishmar? So the word Mishmar is here. The word Mishmar actually appears later in the Torah in a different context. You remember that later in the Torah, there are two stories in the Chumash. One is a story, let me see if I can find these stories very quickly. Um, let's see where that would be. Um, the Makalel, no? The what? The Makalel, the yeah, Makoshesh. I'm looking for the, yes, the Makalel and the Makoshesh, exactly. I'm looking for those stories. Um, we are of the Makalel and the Makoshesh. Hold on a second. I think it's chapter 24, yes. Um, yes, so the, the, the one who's, the story is chapter, is by Yikra, chapter 24. It says that the son of a, the Jewish man got into a fight with a man whose father was Jewish and mother was, uh, the mother was Jewish and the father was an Egyptian. And he cursed. In the context of the fight, he curses God. And they put him in the Mishmar. They put him into custody until the decision of the Lord should be made clear. So Mishmar is a place, is a holding pen. It's a temporary place where your fate will be decided later. That's the Mishmar. You're guarded there. It's not uh, long-term. Jail is where you can be there forever. Beta Soar, Joseph, could be in jail the rest of his life. Mishmar um, is different. Uh, Rabbi Silver, just a heads up. It is a five-minute warning. Okay. So here the point is this. The point is what the Chumash is saying here then is that the baker and the butler were put there temporarily. Their fate will be decided later, which is why Joseph, part of Joseph's interpretation when they have the bad dreams or the two dreams, Joseph understands that their fate is yet to be decided. And Joseph has to figure out, even though the two of them came together, and presumably we were guilty of the same crime. But one of them may make it and one may not make it. But Joseph understands that their fate will be decided in the future because they're put in the Mishmar. That's the word Mishmar over here. Now, before we get to the dream that we'll take care of next time, I want to say something else about the term Beta Soar. A thought that I had, years ago I had this thought. I'll repeat it now for those who didn't hear it from me. The word Soar is a very strange word. Beit Hasoa. Beit But the word in the Talmud, the, words, the word in the Talmud, Talmud has the word Sihara, 
The word soar does appear in one place in the Bible, to the best of my knowledge, in one place. Not exactly the word soar, but the word sahar. Where does the word sahar appear in the Bible? Who knows? Are there any Sephardic Jews in there? The Sephardic Jews will know. The Ashkenazim won't know, but I'll tell you, the Sephardic Jews, I'll tell you why. Because the Sephardim have the practice of every Friday night in the davening of saying Shira Shirim, the song of songs. And may have known the whole thing by heart, including a lot of other parts of the Bible. Shawareich Agan Hasahar, Al Yechsar Hamazek. Your belly is light, right? Your navel, describing this woman. Your navel is like Agan Hasahar, a round goblet. Agan Hasahar. Asar is something that's round. In the Talmud, what does the word Sihara mean in the Talmud? Who knows? Sihara. What is the Sihara? The Sihara in the Talmud's understanding is it means the moon. What? So Sar is the moon. The moon. Here is, what is, here is what is interesting about this. Uh-huh. I wonder about this. Remember Joseph's dream? Joseph's second dream. Joseph had the dream. The sun, the moon, and the 12 stars will bow down to me. 11 stars, actually. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars will bow down. And when Jacob hears this, he rebukes Joseph, says, what? Will me and your mother and your your brothers bow down to you? So Jacob understands the dream that the sun is Jacob, the 11 stars are the 11 brothers, and the moon is the mother. Rashi comments, Rachel's died already. So how could you have such a dream? Good question, actually. But what I wondered about is this. Yes, it's true that Rachel has died, but I wonder, because the word for moon is the word sar. And Joseph finds himself in the jail. But it's precisely in the jail where the jailer has given Joseph all kinds of gratitude and where Potiphar himself appoints Joseph to minister to the baker and the butler, it's precisely in the jail that will be the place that from the jail will catapult Joseph to his role as the Moshel, as the ruler or second in command in the land of Egypt. So I've always wondered whether the strange anomalous term that appears no place else in the Bible of Beit HaSoar is not in some sense a suggestion that this in fact will be central uh, as in, in, in the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams of achieving power, of achieving sovereignty, of being the Moshel. Yes, the mother has died, but the moon, so the moon bowing down, Jacob said, shall me and your mother bow down to you? It's not about the mother. <clears throat> it's about the Sar, which is which the mother, the, the moon actually, should not be interpreted as the mother bowing down, but rather the moon will play out in terms of the synonym for the moon, which is the sar. It's in the moon, it's in the sar that will be instrumental. This is the story in which Joseph, in the jail in Egypt, from which he will never escape. He's not from Mishmar, that's the context. They're gonna get out, for better or worse. He's there forever, or so the reader may think. That's not the case. It will be exactly the case that may take two years, but it will be exactly the story 
that will enable Joseph not just to get out of jail, but to become the viceroy of Egypt. So I'm going to stop at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, if anybody has comments or yes. questions, please speak up. Um, I yes. see a few, uh, just a few questions that came through in the chat um, from Fran Schifrin. She was pointing out that, I mean, this may have been covered that Sohar in verses 21, 23 is seven times and it comes up three more times in the next chapter. Uh, Fran, did I get that right? And Rebecca Nadler pointed out that, like, might we see this as a redo? because Joseph didn't do this the first properly. Um, Rebecca, you wanna elaborate on that? Um, and I think those were the questions in chat. Um, nothing coming I just wanted to add. I just wanted to add that at least in modern Hebrew, we have beta matzar, beta surim, and beta matzar with a tzadi. Right, right. The truth so. is actually the truth of the matter is that the, the real the main word for prison in the Bible is actually kela, which is modern Hebrew as well. To be kalu. To be kalu. What, what is kalu. it in uh, in in the Talmud to be in jail? What is Talmudic because I, I wonder sure. when it's not better matzar. Matzar is right. Matzar is to be atzur is to be right. Matzar is in modern Hebrew, I think. Um, yeah. I have to check. I think Yemiyo is in a kewa, beta kewa. I think he's kogu. Mm. Beta asurim is another oh. one. I do, and, and mishmar is temporary, but so are never appears elsewhere in the Bible. So is only in the story of Joseph and only over here, Interesting. which is why I suspect it's connected to the moon. Sierra. Um, okay, so we'll continue with this next week. It's good to learn with all of you. Anybody has other comments? Aviva Davidson questions? wants to say so, wants to ask. <laughs> Who? Yeah, Aviva. Aviva Davidson. Yes. Uh, I, I, you. It's so helpful and interesting when you point out certain phrases or terms or, that repeat, and I'm wondering, um, not now, but if, if at another time, the coat. All every time the code is mentioned, when Jacob makes the code, when you know all the step, if that has significance of the trajectory of Joseph's story and of and maybe of Joseph's transformation. Of course, what's the question? Of course, it does. We'll discuss that. The code okay. is very significant. He's a fellow who keeps losing his coat. Basically, he has several right. different codes. I'll right. talk about that. I mean, I've alluded to it in the past. I'll talk about it maybe next week. Bring it up and I'll be happy to speak to it. Thank you. Okay, thank you very right. much. Uh, I think there's time for... Rabbi, Rabbi Silber, can I ask you a quick question? Go, go um, brilliant as always is just go ahead, a detail. Go ahead. What's the yeah, go ahead. concordance that would search for phrases rather than words, you know, with a phrase that you uh, focused on today and where it appears in the Torah uh, Talmud, are you using a, well, you have this vast memory, but is there a concordance for phrases rather than, um, I always find individual words. I'm just, I don't know. I, I just doing it for my own knowledge. But okay. the truth is that with the, with the, I'm sure with the internet and everything they can do, I'll I'm find sure you one. can, yeah. if you know how to use that kind of thing, which I'm not yeah. very good at, I'm sure you can find something like over the internet if you work at it, because, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's amazing, oh, but it's, it's a great tool, actually. Yeah, it but is. I don't, I don't know. 
Thank you. Uh, let, me say one, uh, let me say one point about this, that it's not just the number of times, this is a very important point. It's not just the number of times a word appears, it's the context in which it appears. Sometimes a word appears only two or three times and it's very significant. One always has to take into account the context. So it's not just a number game, it's not just bean counting over here, it's the context of the story, where the story appears, what the story is, etc. So it's a little more complex, but it is, but it's certainly the case that one of the cues in the Bible is the repetition of words. In terms of phrases, I think Noah had posted something about possibly uh, Safaria. In Safari. Okay, that, 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 those things are very useful. Yeah. Okay, I'm All gonna right. stop at this point then. Uh, any announcements to make? Yes. Um, if you if you enjoyed this class and you want to learn more, our next class in the Falls Mon is with Dr. Levins on Mishnah at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you want to learn more with Rabbi Silver, he will be teaching a class on prayer meeting at 9.30 in the morning Eastern time on Monday. You can sign up and find out more at drisha.org slash classes. Great. Thank you. Thank, thank you everyone for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Have okay. a great day. Have evening. a great day. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Neil.